Good afternoon, Chris. How are you? How long gone is here? What's up, bro? Hey, bro. Uh, not much. Just, um, you know, uh, settling in for another classic podcast. I know the vibes. We were talking earlier uh, on the last episode about how you are a Halloween hater. You're a Thanksgiving hater. You're You're a hater of, I guess, all holidays for the most part. Is that safe to say? That's safe to say. I mean, obviously, you know, July 4th, which feels patriotic, is close to my heart, but I don't eat hamburgers or hot dogs, and um, I find that uh, fireworks are a little bit too loud. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They get, You know how it is, Jason. They get the dogs barking. Yeah, my, uh, my puppers don't love Thanksgiving, but luckily they don't have to wear... You know, any type of medical Mm -hmm. vest or like take any type of supplements to get through. Just you. Has that always been a thing? Jason, I'm going to put on your vest next time we get on the plane. You're feeling a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do not pet. Do not pet. This is my this. This is my (laughs) (laughs) what's the term they use? I always forget. What's the service animal? Yeah, this is my service podcaster. You can't please don't Mm -hmm. please don't pet him. Don't feed him any chocolate. You know what I mean? That would be bad. That's the only that's the only way that I get to sit in comfort plus is (laughs) I I don't have a ticket per se with my name on it, but I am allowed access in that in that area. And I do appreciate the leg room in the Comfort Plus section mm-hmm. because that's where I kind of spend most of my time is down, uh, down yeah. by, uh, by, yeah. by the feet. I like to I like to push you right between the the Prada tote bag carry on and the orange podcast kit. You can just kind of snuggle up in there. You know what I mean? And I'm easy. You know me. I'm easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easy. I don't know much. But I- I mean, the Halloween long tail continues, but I did see some incredible content production from friend of the show, Haley Bieber, mm. um, who did who did like full on, like there was a list of credits, like it was a Vogue cover shoot mm-hmm. for her Halloween costume shoot. There was a set designer, hair, makeup, mm-hmm. lighting technician for her to look like uh, Britney Spears. Okay. So yeah, the crafty killed it on that one. Yeah. Shout out to the the guy who drove the Sprinter van. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole thing. It's really crazy. But I think that that's what Halloween really is now, is just an opportunity for celebrities to spend ten to $15,000 of their personal money to create outfits that get the tongues wagging on the Instagram platform. Honestly, that's best case for me. If that's what Halloween turns into, that that's, that's better than having to see people I know look like shit. Well, it kind of makes sense because, you know, it is content for social media. It is, and, you know, it's very normal to have to come out of pocket for editorial stuff. So this is all just kind of a write-off anyway, right? Yeah, you make a good point, Jason. You make it's a the cost point. of doing business. It's the cost of staying relevant. The, the cost of staying relevant is expensive. She, oh, so, I'm sorry, Haley Bieber did, did Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. She, of course, looked hot. And then she did also the Princess Diaries. Um, yeah, I, I was I was reading some some reports that she did tear. <laughs> yeah, yes, she. I would love to know where you read a report that used the word tear in that way. I think your reporting is maybe an Instagram comment. Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? The reporting was no. I think it was a staff writer at Cosmo who said that. Yeah, that would that um, would that would track for you. I'm checking it out right now, and the production quality is. It's really it, no, it's 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 crazy. It's really well done. But she's got I mean, the baby one more time. She's unfortunately not quite as juicy as Britney Spears, but that's fine. No, it's okay. 
it's it's more we got the she's looking better in toxic she's looking good on the classic iconic rolling stone cover cradling a teletubby i wish you were uh, you probably wish you were that purple teletubby in that photo don't you well I, I i toggle between being the purple teletubby in Haley bieber's arms and the green alien in frank ocean's prada clad arms so it's a tough <laughs> every day is difficult for me jason we forgot uh, it's so quickly we forgot that frank ocean brought a green baby to the met gala that was what a Three weeks ago? Four weeks ago? No, it was longer than that, but I did not forget. Trust me. I've been me. on tour. I've been on XO Tour Life. I don't days don't mean anything. XO Tour Life has got Jason spun the fuck out. But we were, we we you know, since we last spoke, dear listeners, Jason and I were able to hit the tennis court again and get a nice fits. Uh which which you know, it didn't look great for the first, I would say, hour and a half, but the last twenty minutes we really turned up the heat. Ninety minutes warm up is it's standard, <laughs> right? That's standard for most yeah, tennis that's, matches. That's a, that's a Jason style workout. But yeah, so we Jake Davis took us out to the court. We had the lobster. We really he really put us through the paces. It felt amazing, I gotta say, to get out there and do a couple hours hitting the green ball. It did. My uh my knee my knee felt not not too bad afterwards. It was a little Good. sore, but beforehand, Good. you know, if I did Two hours of intensive racket work, you know my my knee would be sore for like a week after, and I would be a little be a little gun shy to get out there. And I think I'm you know I would say two days of recuperation, and I'll be back there. So there is some progress happening. I love good. to hear that. Well, I actually I actually went back to the undefeated gym on Monday to work out with uh, our former guest Kirsty Gotze, mm-hmm. and boy, I tell you what. <laughs> Yeah, she fucked me up, dog. And I, you know, I, I, as much as I want to look like Kaya Gerber physically, mm-hmm. um, she told she told me, unfortunately, that's probably not possible, just because you know uh, there's some restraints as far as like bone size goes. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I, you think can I'm, be your version of Kaya, exactly. Though, right? I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be my version of Kaya. But she really put me through it. I gotta say, there, there's what was some, the most difficult maneuver that you were tasked with? There's a lot of um, anti-rotation ab work, so you're like on the ground in dead bug position, holding a a strong resistance band while you know doing different maneuvers with your legs for your abs while and Mm -hmm. the the band is obviously pulling you the opposite way so this is some some nice oblique work i can only imagine the isolation going on. the isolation was good but she she kind of pulls from the the pilates school which is something that i you know that's obviously the number one hot chick workout so if i can of course if i can learn anything from from her i will and there's also some interval sprints on the curved uh treadmill which which is you know not only difficult from a physical standpoint but also mental you know because it's it's a strange surface and that's what you love you love leaving it all on the on the crescent shaped treadmill mentally as well as physically i left it all on the tread i'm going to see her again on thursday before we head out to seattle just get one more in you know before mm-hmm. before seattle with with enum claw on, on friday one more cali workout in the books yeah one more cali workout before we go to seattle and it's so rainy you can't even walk down the street which ad which adds resistance don't sleep yeah on it does the resistance, it, yeah, the resistance it does. of rain yeah swimming down a major highway does add resistance um <laughs> so we're, we're hitting seattle and then we're back in la on saturday night jason are you ready for your your homecoming performance kind of yeah i mean i i'm i'm a little i'm I'm actually like i think i'm more nervous about this than the new york show even though it, there aren't as many people in the seats uh the venue is not as large but it's 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 almost as big as new york but it really is my home base and you know my my life partner will be there you know probably with some of her friends and i'll have a bunch of Mm-hmm. familiar faces in the crowd so that's making me a little nervous slash 
um, comforted at the same time. You know what I mean? Look, it's, bro. It's look, bro. Okay. I don't think I don't think Frankie Chan's going to harass you. I think he's going to be nice. <laughs> so don't don't worry about hecklers. Like I, I think don't think I don't think these people are going to heckle me. But are I just bloody wanna... are are bloody beetroots in town? Are you worried about that, or is it? Are they? They're not here. Even if even if Steve Aoki <laughs> gives me an uh, uh, a glowing review. I'll still be able to see in his his eyes whether he truly liked it or not. No, of course. And of that's kind of what I'm worried about. I just want to do right by him. Luckily for us, uh, Ryan O'Connell um, is in town. We thought he wasn't in town. He's going to be joining us. Uh, and, and also Whitmer Thomas, the hilarious Whitmer Thomas, who was on this podcast a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, known skateboarder, uh, friends to the skateboard community, but also uh, a very funny guy. Oh yeah, he's he's quite funny, and his special on HBO, which came out uh, earlier in the year, is really really good, really earnest and sweet. So watch that as a little little warm up for for Whitmer. But thanks to both of those previous podcast guests for for coming mm-hmm. out to share the stage with us, it'll make things that much more uh, enjoyable. Yeah. And there's and there's not I don't I don't think there's many tickets left. Like I bet there's five tickets left. I I think by the time this episode comes out, it'll be sold out and. For that, we thank you. If you if you slept, then we are sorry. If you're somebody that I am close friends with or a family member of, and you slept, <laughs> you know I'll see what I can do, but no promises in terms of guest list. I have reserved a spot for your mom, but I didn't know if she was going to make it, so I'd love to give it away. You just let me know. You would. Lo- I would love nothing more than to give your mom's guest list spot away. But we do we do have a guest today, which which I, I believe she deserves a proper introduction. Mm-hmm. Today we have uh, Penny Martin, who is the editor-in-chief of The Gentlewoman and the former editor-in-chief of Nick Knight's uh, showstudio.com. She was also uh, the chair of fashion media at the London College of Fashion, University of the Arts London. She's done it all, but she has a new book called Modern Manners. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some good tips in here for Jason. You know about kind of like drinking alone, how to how to show up to a party alone. Which is something that both of us love. I could do I could do forty minutes on bar soap, uh, which is on page one twenty six. <laughs> no, no problem. Umbrella, the black napkin. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, how to regift, which is I think something that's that they they list as a modern conundrum, and I would tend to agree. Mm, I'm 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 curious to hear what the black napkin is. What's the, what's the vibe? Is that for makeup reasons? What's, no, I believe I believe because it, it it doesn't show dirt is what I would. You, you know what I mean? So okay, so it, it is. It is sort of for makeup reasons. The yes. same same yeah. reason why my beloved Rihanna mm-hmm. re- requests a black towel. So there's no, you know, the makeup. The makeup doesn't show on the white napkin or the towel. And then conversely, any pilling mm-hmm. on the on the towel or anything like that won't show up on you know on your well lit screen face. It won't. Well, it also won't stick to your trousers when you get up to use the loo. You know what I mean? If you're at if you're at a if you're at a dining establishment, but okay. Well, we have a lot to cover here. I'm I'm very excited uh, to learn some of these modern manners. I know that she works at a place called the Gentlewoman, and that is, uh, you know, I'm only one of those two things. <laughs> so hopefully, some of those applications are unisex, yeah. and I can sort of absorb them and work them into my daily routine. I think that I think that non-binary tj will be good here so it is 2021 after all you know what i mean and we're we're mainly going to get into the kind of gender politics of naming your magazine the gentlewoman (laughs) in such a time let's do it well it's look it's from 2010 you know uh but let's um let's give penny a jingle and we'll, we'll go from there 
Jason, I want to talk to you today about Timberland Green Stride. Timberland Green Strides. It's a it's a brand new series of boots from the good people over at Timberland. And, and these are not your grandmother's beef and broccolis. This is some new technology. What's going on with them, Chris? Bro, the soles are made from 75% renewable sugar cane and natural rubber. I know you already know this, but it combines eco-consciousness and comfort, which is two things that I'm pretty uh, bullish on. Uh, yeah, you're bullish on eco. I'm bullish on eco, but Timberland Greenstad uses eco-conscious materials to create styles that are both rugged and lightweight. But Jason, let's not forget durable. You know, you can you can really wear these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? 75% renewable sugarcane. I didn't even know you can make shoes out of that. That is that is very sick. I didn't know that either. I learn something new every day. The Green Strides collection, it's part of Timberland's commitment to making more sustainable products in a greener world with the goal of having a net positive impact on the environment by 2030. That's less than 10 years. Yeah, if we start now, we're going to make it. Shop the men's and women's Timberland Green Strike collection on Timberland.com. Cop your 75% renewable sugar cane, natural rubber, sole, green stride, Timberlands, and stunt on everyone. I think I will. God, you're loud. Hang on a minute. I don't mean as people. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're, we're quite loud. Penny, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're coming to us from a remote location. Where are you right now? I'm in Paris. I'm in Pigalle, of all places. Pigalle, you say? Wee oui, wee. Oui. That's where that's where we stay usually as well. It's a little far for me, but my girlfriend loves it over there. <laughs> well, it is a changed place uh, since the pandemic. The all the little um, interesting places uh, like the sort of abstruse uh, um, antique shops are closed down. It looks like, but um, they've kept the sex shops open, which I gather are um, government. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So. What yeah, about the got- what about the the streetwear basketball courts? Or have those been preserved? Gosh, I'm not aware of those. Perhaps my running route hasn't taken me okay. past them. I'll I'll make a special request. Okay, as long as the sex shops are around. So you like to jog around that neighborhood? I do. Yeah. Quite honestly, yes. Okay. What do we do? What what kind of mileage are we doing? We talk about exercise a lot on this podcast. So what do we let- kilometers for you? Of course. Uh, oh no, no. I, um, I'm from I'm from Scotland. It's miles, but um, oh, no, probably my bad. What five in the morning or something like that? No, no, no. Nothing that's much. nothing. No, don't, don't. That's nothing to shake a stick at. You know what I mean? You're getting out there, and that's what's important. But the the follow up question to this is very the, out there. The footwear choice. Oh well, it's the um the ones that look like a hoof. They're very ugly, but they do. <laughs> Give you spring. What are they called? Uh... You mean like a a hoka? No, no, they're Nikes. No, they're Nikes. They're the Nike, w- Nikes. Do- they're the one that have the metal plate in them, like the marathoners. Maybe is it the peg? Does the Pegasus have a hoop? No, in no, it? Pegasus is far too dense, and it kind of absorbs shock, and it makes you heavy. Oh. Whereas this makes you spring like a gazelle. Yeah, this is this is the J- it, Jason. This it. is the shoe that was almost banned by the Olympic Committee because That's these right. guys were these guys were running too damn fast. You know what I mean? It was just the metal the metal yes. plate. Well, was- imagine me running past those sex shops with a special sort of <laughs> zeal. Zeal. <laughs> and an additional zeal that you already have for for being in that area yeah well yes okay okay that's good so i mean because i know that those shoes are only for kind of a performance athlete person you know an amateur it might not it might actually hinder their 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 quarter mile time so i'm glad that you you seem to be taking the running very seriously 
Well, yeah. I mean, they actually were given to me by Nike, since you ask. Um, and I think, weren't mm-hmm. they devised as part of their under two hour marathon deal? Yeah, that's the, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. And those shoes, if you, I mean, you probably know this because you wear them. I tried them actually and I hurt my ankle very badly and can't, they didn't work for me, mm. but oh, they, wow. you know, they, they, the sole actually decreases because you're only supposed to run in them for a couple hundred miles. Like it, like you Is can, that true? yeah, you can physically see it get, it gets smaller because they're. Gosh, they're ma- I need to renew mine then. Maybe there's going to be a whole new sort of um, emphasis at my running club. Minimum, minimum two hundred. Yeah, I think between two hundred, three hundred miles, you're supposed to switch them up. It's kind of like how when a, when a new iPhone comes out and your old one kind of stops working all of a sudden. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Nike Nike also needs to make you keep buying a new pair of shoes every few months. Are you accusing them of inbuilt obsolescence? The what is it? The logic of late capitalism? Well, I'm accusing them of that, although. I've never said it it's so eloquently. <laughs> Inbuilt obsolescence is that just sounds a beautiful turn of phrase for such a horrible, horrible situation. Mm. Well, I'm sitting here in a hotel room with a kind of snake's nest of white wires, thinking that there surely is a more simpler solution for powering up all these connected uh, devices. How digital are you in your day to day life as a person who? I personally try to break my record of more screen time every week. Like I'm trying to kind of, you know, it's like <laughs> much like running. Yeah. Much like mm-hmm. running. I'm trying to exceed my previous week's performance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if are you as tethered to the machine as we are, or do you try to spend some time away from it when you can? Well, I suppose I'm known as the person that went backwards, aren't I? I once was a um, website uh, editor and I probably did spend sort of 12 hours in front of a screen yeah. in, in those days. Um, I'm not. I'm not going for a, a record like you. Um, but one day, uh, one day, it's something to think about. Just something to consider. Yeah. You know what I mean? No pressure from me, but something to consider. Slows down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, my optician tells me that I haven't got dry eyes yet. So um, yeah, I, that, that's supposedly a metric of how bad that that can get. But yeah, no, I, it's, it's well, it's a strange thing. I mean, I'm sitting most times. I, I overlook the Firth of Forth, which is the body of water in front of Edinburgh. I'm on the other side of it, mm-hmm. so I actually. I'm looking out into a kind of amazing mm. uh, view, but my screen obscures most of that little dormer window. So it's a kind of slightly <laughs> obscene obstruction between me and nature, against nature. That's a that's an interesting daily juxtaposition to live with there. I feel like that's a real modern times kind of situation you're dealing with. It is, but I suppose I've put a sort of obstruction between me and the city in a way, and I'm definitely much more productive, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a swap. It's a sort of a, a deal in that your travel is more difficult in order to be more um, separated from it, if you know what I mean. I have to really clamber to get into the city, but actually when I'm in the country, it's, it's amazing. So you don't you don't live in London? No, no. I I sold my house in um, June. I'd been there for t- twenty three or twenty five years or something. But I had a, I had a place in Scotland, and uh, I now tra- uh, travel via the um, sleeper train for meetings and things. This is all very romantic. As I get on my <laughs> you know Delta commuter flight from New York to Boston, this is feeling a little sexier. Yeah, it's quite north by northwest. It's true. How long is the train ride? Well, they slow it down so you sleep better. <laughs> Is that true? Yes, yes. Um, so that you get in at a kind of normal hour um, and you're not sort of docking before you would get up. But uh, what would normally be a sort of five-hour train journey is kind of um, extended by seven hours. You get on at about 11 o'clock and there's a really amazing restaurant carriage that has whiskey and and um, 
and and haggis and is it no it's great and oh uh, there's all these yeah. kind of weird aristos traveling down from the highlands to their <laughs> estates in london so you get really interesting uh gossip uh, that's my kind of crowd and nothing nothing gets me tuckered out for a good night's sleep on the train like a nice haggis and a scotch you know quite literally yeah <laughs> fill the gullet so so you don't need a sleep aid you know chemical or natural or otherwise when you have the gentle rumblings of a, of a train track right yeah you have to learn how to enjoy the sort of shugle from side to side a bit but the shiggle <laughs> yeah the shiggle um uh and then you get in at about seven or eight at euston station um and you're up for a day of meetings maybe with a little a little um, snooze in the afternoon but no it's it's pretty it's pretty productive and then for fashion week and and when we're in production i'm down for chunks of time but at the moment i'm auditioning clubs i want to um join our inveigle my way into a gentleman's club and i'm nearly there but um uh i think that's how i'm going to do it what what hold on so so you're saying you're trying to to become a member of a private club that is gentleman only well the best ones that have chambers often have been gentlemen's clubs and they only started letting women in in the 80s 1980s and and some more recently than that um but the you know the kind of chains that we all know of members clubs uh, mm. that are rather smart are usually Eretzat's versions of ones on Pall Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually when you get into the ones in Pall Mall, they're the ones that have like the proper uh, Chesterfield sofas and not the copies. And they have an actual library <laughs> and not yes, kind of the plastic, meters. <laughs> yeah, the plastic, <laughs> the plastic Chesterfield hits a little different than the, the original, yes. Yeah, and I mean, is there anything more depressing than going into a club and you look at the library and you realize it's meters of bought books that they've organized by color or something? It's horrendous. <laughs> there is um, nothing worse than organizing books by color. Truly one some, of... Some angel wings painted on the, <laughs> on the library shelves to take a nice selfie in front of, perhaps? Yeah, I say, I'll, I'll read the red one today. Um, so. <laughs> so you're looking, you're looking to join one of these clubs because it will allow you to have a, a a place to sleep all the time when you're in in the city yeah and an actual library i mean how often is it that you now get into a library where you can browse the stacks anyway whereas a lot of these libraries have original i mean i was in one in july and it had like an entire room uh devoted to the 18th century and and the uh, grottos and the romantic and and you know gothic gothic revival amazing at 11 o'clock here in Los Angeles, uh, the library by my house has an entire room devoted to places where homeless people can take a nap or use the internet. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a little bit different over there than it is over here. Well, maybe I'm painting a picture of terrible privilege. Uh, now, now you shame me. With no, my, no, no, no. Uh, not, not, not so much the privilege, but just like the prioritizing of these these special spaces. Yeah, I know, 100%. Which is a shame because they, they all have great architecture. They're huge, amazing spaces, but there's just... Three, you know, creepy guys using it to jack off on one of the computers or something, you know. Well, I'm sorry to hear it. I mean, I always think it's an amazing opening <laughs> line for a song. Um, that um, is it a de- design for life, the Manic Street Preacher song that says libraries gave us power. What an amazing first line for a song. That is, that is, that's very. I mean, I think that that you guys that sounds like the preachers are now. You guys over there really prioritize things like this, whereas we are more of a Kindle society now. You know what I mean? It's a it's a fast food uh, application to the reading and writing. You probably found some good ones in New York, though, right, Penny? Yeah, and um, there's an amazing place that we always wanted to, for the, the Gentlewoman Club, which is our international society of readers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we always wanted to do in a magazine event. And there's a there's a women's reform club or something. I think there's a kind of women's club that looks like it's got a good library. Yeah, I mean, I've been to I've been to like the Yale Club and the Harvard Club before. I was a guest, of course. I um I did not graduate from any of those either of those fine institutions. We assumed, Chris. but I do. They do feel it feels it feels nice in a way that you kind of can't believe. Like that in in some regards that like like based on that you know what i mean because it's gotten so i didn't want to mention any names of course <laughs> mm. that's kind of all that we do <laughs> i apologize we'll, we'll we'll cut that out but i you know what i mean i think that the the like what it has become uh and we were just in we're on tour right now for the podcast so we've been doing live shows and we were in austin texas and you know there's there's a members club in austin texas now which feels very you know it, it does not feel texan at all and you say that but isn't the harry ransom um archive for photography in austin texas is that right i when i worked at the national museum of photography we used to send things there so i hope there is one <laughs> no they're, they're, they're yeah yeah some guy's house no 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 it's some guy's house no texas has got a great collection texas has a lot of great we went to houston before that because of the art in houston is like kind of crazy and people don't really realize that but i think that these um we talk about this a lot. I don't know if you've experienced this or how much time you've spent exploring America, but it's it's cities are all kind of becoming the same in this very odd way where you can we've seen it now because we've been to Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, like places we've been before but maybe not in a long time and you get into these places and you're like this sh- they just have everything that New York or LA has now. It's like it's I guess it's cheaper to live there, you know. You know what I mean. But it's the specialness is it, it feels like we're losing the specialness of our of our city. Too global. It's too global. I mean, that's in macro what we're sort of talking about in micro in terms of the library is that you know yeah sure we've got yeah. the, the facility to have any kind of book that we want and and request it. However, the accident of well, the thing that has been ruled out by not being in, literally in the physical space of a library is the accident of seeing the thing that's next to the thing you thought you wanted. Yeah. And, you know, that's the mm-hmm. anti-algorithm experience, isn't it? Where, you know, you didn't know that that thing existed. How would you ever discover? That's God's algorithm. That's God's algorithm. Yeah. No, but it's, <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's like walking into McNally Jackson and looking at the staff recommendations. I mean, that's what you really lose when you're shopping for books on Amazon or anything on Amazon to an extent. You know what I mean? Is that kind of ex- human expertise? I-, I would prefer a human pick it out than like a, you know, a piece of technology. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose that's what you're talking about in terms of cities as well as the kind of curious things that we love kind of start to disappear. So let's hope, yeah, that uh, there are programs in in place in all the American cities that you're visiting that are a little bit like what the French government's doing along Pigalle, which is, um, yes, yes. yeah, it may not be the most wholesome aspect of its um, city's culture, but it knows that, you know, that most of those sex shops are, are, are closed or rather uninhabited, but it's obviously very important to them that they exist in terms of being a kind of externalization of some part of the French identity as they see it. The facade. Yeah. Leave it to the French. They got something right. You, um, <laughs> You were talking about your your club, your sort of international club, and I, I that was probably formed pre quarantine. I'm assuming. Yeah, that was around the time of the Beyonce issue, I think, okay. which would be issue seven, 2013. We'd held off long enough in terms of um, avoiding having a website um, because I come from a digital background and kind of was rather 
I did, you know, I, I wanted to explore the real world for a while. See how long you could go without having to have a website. Yeah. Uh, but it, what we discovered was that, the, you know, readers were finding their way around it and they were starting to use our Facebook site as an opportunity to, you know, ask us about FAQs and all that sort of thing. So we had to build one. And at the same time, we discovered uh, that we had this massive database of people that had signed up for information and we'd never really served it. So my own background, because I was in museums, just, you know, started to sort of go into overdrive about the opportunity to meet some of our readers because, you know, I'd worked on exhibitions before where you were out of circulation for a couple of years working on something very specific. And the minute you published an exhibition, you were able, or rather launched one, you were able to come out and do your symposium and whatever, and that you'd actually be out in the real world. So we just started to do that. And as a result of it, we started to see who our readers were. And to be honest, they, imp- they impressed us more than we kind of expected. And, you know, you used to be on the front row of sort of fashion week and you'd hear other um, editors kind of bitching about who actually read their magazines when they went and did events and things. And they did these rather patronising kind of, you know, fashion meet the editor sort of scenarios. But I knew that as soon as we started doing ours, that that wasn't the experience. And it was like the the director of Freeze Art Fair and mm. actual fashion designers who, you know, could certainly charge for their appearance at our events were coming along of their own volition as if they were readers. And when that got started, we were just like, look, we've got this incredible asset. And it's been one of the best things really about making the magazine that no matter where we go, we know we can draw a crowd. And the funny thing about it is they're really different in every city. So when we go to L.A., you know, we do an architecture tour. It's all actors and architects. And then if you go to Berlin, it's like nightlife crowd. Mm. If you go to France, it's kind of slightly more polite and a little bit more <laughs> restaurant. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. um, well, in London, they'll do anything, won't they? So we do running clubs <laughs> and uh, we'll do, um, you know. Nothing but time over there. <laughs> Certainly not. It's a time-deprived city. <laughs> We're kind of going through a similar situation. Yeah. Um, you know, the podcast listener, you know, might not be known as the most stylish, attractive, cool person in the world, or you know, or a fan of a stand-up comedy. Or aren't they? Well, it depends. Mm. Well, it's not great. There's a lot of different types of podcasts, I should say. Ours is more kind of leaning on the comedy conversational side and less on the uh you know it's feet yes um yes. so so we were a little afraid as we're traveling to these cities perhaps like you know you it's a little tricky of like i, I don't know if i want to see what 400 of our listeners look like uh in person and we were p- pleasantly surprised all over the place mm-hmm. it's great isn't it yeah it really is there's some real value in there where like you can be the most popular magazine or the most popular podcast or whatever but if your fan base doesn't have that value, you know, that you have you have millions and millions of fans and they're all kind of whatever people, but you've got your core of 20,000 or 30,000 or whatever it is, but they're all very interesting, attractive, successful, you know, educated people who care about these things and then that really, you know, the the advertisers want that, you know. It's an honor to advertise in your magazine versus just having to do we're doing Vogue again, whatever, you know? Well, sure. I mean, there's two sides to that, isn't there? I mean, first of all, when you're in those ad meetings, you are you can honestly say what, you know, that you have evidence of who it's they real. are. Yeah, it's yeah. not some business plan where you're saying, well, she's 25 to 35, you know, it's not some dem- demographic kind of nonsense. And then on the second, uh, on the flip side of that, you're in an editorial meeting, aren't you? And you're thinking about an idea and you're not just shooting in the dark. You actually have met those people and you know whether that's likely to be something that they'd be interested yeah, in. And it, it, will work. it just gives you confidence it, and it allows you to be a bit more ambitious, I think, once you really know you're on the right 
track and you're not having to make some kind of bogus projection. And I'm sure this is something you go through with with like booking covers and, and something that we deal with booking guests. It's like, you know, I think there's some that we know are going to be home runs and we want to do this because we know they're going to love it. And there's some that it's important for us to push the listener. You know what I mean? Like we want to introduce you to this. Like you may not have read this book. You may not have heard this album, et cetera, but it's, it's we're in a position to share that with you. And that is what the why the job is fun. Sure, the thing you didn't know you wanted. Yeah, yeah. Gatekeeping is so much fun, is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, when you put, you know, when you put, you know, Beyonce on the cover, you're like, yeah, that's going to be a fucking home run. We're good. It's Beyonce. When you put Little Sims on the cover, it's a little more risky. That's like pretty UK. That's pretty, you know, that's that's niche. But that's the job of the magazine. It certainly is. But what, sometimes you can surprise yourself, can't you? In the, I wouldn't say that necessarily critically. And um, Beyonce was our most um, uh, successful cover because, in a lot of ways, people thought that was the kind of star, sort of megawatt personality that we wouldn't do. I see. And that at that point, we'd set out our stall doing quite unusual people that kind of felt like we were being inclusive. And if you think of when we first started. You know, it was the same five Jennifers and the Kardashians that are on the cover of every single weekly magazine. So <laughs> it was quite easy to not be that. Yeah, for sure. And so we started off with quite a kind of very specific and dry and quite austere, you know, uh, good taste offering. And a lot of our readers, I mean, we got people coming back saying, you know, we're not really sure whether we felt that that was what you were. And that's maybe the the trajectory of a, a successful editorial diet that evolves is that you start introducing people that you that are surprises and they become a bigger part of the so-called sort of dinner party party that you're building. So, you know, yeah, we wouldn't have done Pamela Anderson any earlier than the issue that we <laughs> yeah, did, which yeah. was what, round about issue 11 or something, because it would have suggested something slightly different. So it, it, it's always a big conversation. But yeah, do we sound quite neurotic? We are. No, <laughs> no I, I think that, I, that makes exact perfect sense is like you, you've, you've set your precedence. Here's what we do. You had Angela Lansbury on a cover. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. She was on our sixth cover. From her to Little Sims or whatever, you know, so it's not your standard Kardashians on all the covers. But then once you build that, then it's like, all right, we're pretty good at what we're doing now. So now we're going to show you how we do a Beyonce interview. Yeah, and exactly. hopefully that's the one that everyone's like, oh, that was the best Beyonce interview I heard all year. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's exactly that. And the, you know, that I think we got her during the Mrs. Carter tour. And I remember American GQ having a picture of her in a pair of pants yes, yes. that zipped down the front. And it was just so easy not to do that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and you could be the one that didn't look like that. And, you know, the, it was an enormous gift to us that she was prepared to let us make her be represented in a gentlewoman way, because it clearly wasn't the narrative of that tour. I think she was meant to be the girlfriend and not the wife. Yes, yes, yes. To, to me, it's so easy to just do the one thing that nobody else is doing. It, it, it might sound to the audience that you're doing this like novel, crazy idea that's like the inverse of what everyone else is doing. But it, to me, it's just sitting right there in plain sight. Like when we're going to interview you for an hour, we're probably not going to talk about your book whatsoever. Whereas, like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it up. You did. I, I, no, 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 no. I'm just saying. But like, like if I were to listen to you, like when you were you were on the Monocle podcast, what like a month or two ago, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. And that was just. It was just. 30 minutes talking about the book pretty much. Yeah, I loved it. And it was a great podcast, but that's what it's about and that's what everyone's going to expect. But we're going to talk to you about your your running shoes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're really we're really crazy. <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's not a crazy novel thing, but to me it's like why it's the only thing I want to do. 
I think you said it yourself that um, you you sometimes need to give people what they think they want and then other times you need to surprise them. You can't do all of one or the other. Really. It needs to be a kind of weird pendulum swing, especially when you're biannual. You've got a different periodical expression, haven't you? Three episodes a week. It's pretty frequent. It's a different pace than you slow guys, your little tortoise magazine over yeah. there. You know what I mean? But I, I have the luxury of overthinking things. You're creating timeless pieces of art. I'm glad you think so. And we're creating highly disposable mp3s i mean mp3s are not quite i don't have a stack of mp3s in the corner of my apartment that's the mistake potentially isn't it i mean having been an editor of a website that sort of was around from the early noughties you think these things are ephemeral and the paradox is that they're around forever (laughs) Um, so you make them uh, sort of spontaneously and thought that Mm. and then i so i had a column at style.com in that era as well and that one day, once they switched to Vogue Runway, that shit was gone. Like, there was no trace. <laughs> There's no trace. You hope so. I, yeah, I'm like, I did this for th- <laughs> two years, once a week. Like, I'd like to have it for myself, but no one else needs to see it. You know what I mean? But it was... I'm it, sure it's... Somebody somewhere can no, find of course, it somewhere of course. if you really wanted to. But it to. felt it felt like, wow, they really wiped it. You know what I mean? But they, they could turn a switch and it's all gone versus having to gather everyone around the world to load your copies of of the gentlewoman into a pile and light it on fire and then it's all done. <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little different. But not that anyone would ever want to do that. I think course. that the um but I think you guys do a good job. Obviously the the covers is what gets tongues wagging, but I think the the setup and 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 who you choose to feature that that's not on the cover is what makes it, you know, like a full a full magazine, of course. But I think that another pet peeve of mine as a as a longtime magazine collector, gentlewoman is the right size for keeping it. And that, and they look nice together because the, the colors work. And I think that the, a lot of these guys that come out with these magazines and they're oversized and they're weird. And it's like, you don't want to keep that. It doesn't store well. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that was a conscious decision. It doesn't go on the coffee table. It is the coffee table. Some <laughs> yeah. of these big boys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know that there are economic reasons. Sure. sure. Certain numbers of pages. No, it, it's only ever people that don't work in magazines that say, you know, there's so much advertising in it. And we're going, <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> we're still in. Um, <laughs> however, in our in our um, company, uh, you know, we, we're obviously the sister or little sister yep. magazine of, of um, Fantastic Man and then But Before It. And, you know, I think those magazine makers all, you know, love the New Yorker. We love a magazine that you can roll yeah. and you can yeah. carry. I think that's the modern way to read it. The idea of kind of turning it into a kind of pseudo coffee table book. You know, I, I, I wouldn't like to criticize any of our peers, but the day that we not perfect bind it, but um, hard back it. I, I think that's a mi- I, I mistake agree. in terms of the kind of actual taxonomy of what, I think the periodical form is an amazing thing because it's considered and yet it's not ephemeral. It's not a newspaper. It's between a newspaper and a book. That's literally what it is. It's between yeah. a newspaper and a book as far as like. That said, when it's 300 words, uh, 300 pages twice a year i might as well be making a book um you're making two books you guys did that cute little book which is really great i love that thing i'm glad you have you got one oh of course yeah how little was it it's literally this it's literally this big it's literally you're joking no 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 it's great for listeners at home it's what three inches i wish i was able to tell you the millimeters but just about it's about you know it's Uh between a pack of cards and a box of matches yes Mm, and it's in the um the the tradition of, sort of 19th century little mm-hmm. mini magazine uh, mini books and and mini bibles i think especially they were um and encyclopedias and dictionaries chuck it in the shirt pocket exactly interestingly you say that um my uh husband's uh aunt has been having chemotherapy his elderly 
um, uh, aunt, and she's in her 80s. And the mother, uh, his mother was asking her what she was doing to pass the time. So these are really big, long sessions. She said, well, I've got that little book of pennies and I'm on to Zadie Smith. Have you heard of her? Love <laughs> 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 the idea of her sitting with this tiny little book. That little book is the springboard to to a world of literature. <laughs> and speaking of speaking of small things and Zadie Smith, one I went to a reading of hers with a friend of mine. And I got her to autograph a pack of cigarettes, and, and my friend had it had it framed. Actually, it's a it's a fine piece. I don't know if you like cigarettes, Penny. Oh well, I smoked enough of them as a child. My dad smoked seventy a day, and my mother smoked forty. So passively, I must have been quite a heavy smoker. Seventy cigarettes a day? Yes. Apparently, he used to smoke in the shower. Yeah, he was a singer. Come on, come on. What, Smoking in the singer. shower is just about... Because you see like an old photo of like the Italian guys racing bicycles and they're smoking cigarettes. You're like, that's a cool, cool <laughs> man. That's about as cool as it gets. But in the shower... Because oh, one stray drop of water and that thing is done. You know that. I, I think I think it was all in the lip, but then he was a singer. So <laughs> what kind of si- what kind of sing what kind of singing did he do? Oh, my dad was a soul singer, um, but uh, originally he was in a beat band, sort of like those skiffle bands in the sixties, and mm. he was one of the four bands that went to Hamburg, including the Beatles. Oh wow! Okay, so did he do that the whole time you were growing up, or did he transition into something else? Yes. Oh, you know, he had a he had a day job, but I mean, he sm- he he played. Probably from Thursday till Sunday, he played two sets a night. Yeah, and, and like pop rock bands in the, in mm. Dundee, in a super poor city, but with an amazingly vibrant um, uh, local live music um, culture, sort of in this sort of sixties and seventies and eighties. Yeah, I always I'm always so fascinated by people that were raised. I, I have wonderful parents and I love them immensely, but <laughs> they have no taste in music, no taste in. I mean. Literally nothing. I had to really scavenge myself. You know what I mean? So it was like, I, I think that the power of having a, a parent or even two who are able to introduce you to things like that really changes the trajectory of your life. It was a real head start. He he was an, a, certainly a big character and a big personality. I'm not sure that a, a, a musician's a great parent, really, <laughs> in the end. Um, however, uh, yeah, no, he taught us interesting things. Like I knew how to do a flying headbutt, for instance. Um, what else did I know how to do? Um, a flying headbutt? He felt that was a very important thing for a young woman to be able to defend. That does feel very Scottish now that you say that. Yeah, it does feel very Scottish. Uh, he taught me how to dance on the offbeat. He felt that was a very important uh, quality. I think that's very important. That's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, that's very it was cool. It's a superb, sort of rambunctious, very um, opinionated house about music. Music was on all the time. Um, and, you know, for a long time in my sort of indie-loving 90s, you know, I I probably felt rather embarrassed about the um, plethora of uh, references that were in our household. But it was like Yacht Rock and mm-hmm. and um, super overproduced. It was like Daryl Hall and John Oates and, you know, Chicago, all those kinds of... stuff like that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe they played a Chicago song at his funeral. I think they wow. did. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm... I've, from that, I think I've inherited just an incredibly um, completist uh, enthusiasm for music. I could, you know, I would, I, funnily enough, I found a photograph of myself at the weekend at a party when I must, a family party when I must have been about nine. And I've got um, a, a single of a, um, Ant Music by Adam and the Ants mm-hmm. in my knee. And everybody around me is enjoying the party and I'm <laughs> memorizing the sleeve notes. <laughs> so do you do you have a chance to listen to and discover new music nowadays as much as you did when you were nine years old? Yeah, I, well, I probably do. I mean, you get a bit stuck in your kind of heyday period, don't you? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. what, 49 years old. So, of course, I'm very... Uh, 
sort of mired in references from the 80s and 90s and things. But yeah, I listen to Radio 6 music like everybody else and mm-hmm. uh, get a good fill of kind of independent music probably through that, I think. That's another thing that you guys have going for you over there, you know, the the radio stuff. We don't we don't really have that here. I listened to K-Rock quite a lot when I was uh, living in the States uh, one summer. Did you live in LA? No, no. Um, I, lived, I worked at a Girl Scout camp in uh, New Jersey, the northern tip of New Jersey, when I was oh. 19 for a project that was looking after kids that had families had been affected by HIV and I was one of those counts it was like dirty dancing meets kind of the Goonies or something it was <laughs> that's <laughs> wild that was that was, yeah well, were you so that was just the summer though so you, could you come into New York City and stuff was there time for that or were you like at the camp no other girls um would we'd be driving and uh visit you know spend six hours in the Metropolitan <laughs> Museum where I would learn things for my uh, year of art history uh that was wow, coming P- up Penny, at university. I, li- I like <laughs> that I was like so did you do coke at CBGB she's like no we were at the museum actually we were kind of <laughs> we'd <laughs> sneak away and spend all day at the museum <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah, it was it was it was wild. <laughs> I, I can tell. Well, actually, um, speaking speaking of New York, I was uh, I was reading something about you, but you where you mentioned that you liked the Grand Central Oyster Bar in New York. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's my destination. If I've been to New York and not visited it, I feel like I've been somehow robbed. Yeah, it's great. Is it is it still open or has it closed? Well, I don't know what's happening during the pandemic, but surely they can't close that place. It's fantastic. I don't know. I think I, I was worried that I read, but I, I also love that spot. A friend of mine used to run it. And did you ever have the, the caviar sandwich? I have not. I didn't even know of its existence. I thought you were about to say, did you ever have a third martini, which is not to be <laughs> recommended. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm also a martini fan, but yeah, there, there's a caviar caviar yeah i think oh i think it, it closed down for the quarantine but i think it's going to open well uh maybe it's already open now but yeah there was there was a sandwich where it was just like two two slices of white wonder bread basically and it was just just smeared with caviar the whole way through it was just just white bread my and caviar. god it's like the the famous uh, baked potato in here in paris well i hope it has reopened and if it hasn't maybe you and i can cut the ribbon oh yes. yeah that's a great that's a great idea i'll call i'll call wire image we'll get some people over there it won't be a problem penny what's your what's your martini order how do you take it uh, uh, d- dirty martini, um, olive olive juice, basically. How do you? Vodka or gin? Oh, uh, vodka. And if I can have Polish vodka, the potato vodka, hopefully. Polish vodka, dirt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm the same way, but uh, I think I'm switching to gin. Oh, really? I think uh, uh, as a martini person, it's it's the the true original way to do it. Oh dear, I've I've been having mine adulterated. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, you know, nothing to lose sleep over. Just something for you to work on. In the in the coming months, uh, Duke's Bar in London is has its own little martini cart. Um, uh, I recommend that. Although they do use orange peel sometimes, which I I think is is what? simply are you, wrong. Are you saying for the for the for the rim? <laughs> simply wrong for the rim. In, instead of a lemon twist, they'll do, oh, they'll do oh, an orange twist. twist instead. No, I don't like that one bit. Yeah. We had a little bit of an that's, issue. That's fucked up. Jason and I were were at a restaurant there, and we had a little bit of an issue where they made the martini wrong for him and he was trying to be nice about it and then they brought it back and they clearly just put olives in the martini with the twist you know what i mean that was the fix it was they, they messed it up twice mm. i ordered the dirty martini with gin they brought they brought it with the lemon twist and i was like oh a dirty martini has olives not the lemon twist I'm like, <laughs> so sorry so sorry we'll come back brought it back mm. and another martini with the lemon twist and i was like okay this where's the cameras this is like a joke show or something <laughs> like that 
brought it back and I saw them just pull the lemon off and then put all of all of <laughs> into the glass. I mean, you guys just switched that out, right? And they're like, yeah, we just did that. We don't really care about you anymore. Yeah, hostile. They admitted they're wrong. They're, they admitted they're wrongdoing though, which I was I I appreciate after after you you know you interrogated, but I was I was happy they admitted it. Don't go back. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I missed the Grand Central Oyster Bar immensely it was it's a special little place isn't it yeah and you, and you and you can do two two martinis is max for you penny afterwards it's a little dicey well it jukes by they won't serve you a third one really oh yeah i mean i think it has been done but yeah that I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah if you get to the end of the second one i can handle three martinis easily yeah, well jason's a big jason you can't see this because he's sitting down but he's six foot nine so he's a big <laughs> he's a he's a tall drink of water so he thinks he can handle more than other what, people what is the the saying martinis are like breasts one one isn't enough and three is too many is that (laughs) that's kind of how it goes right i've never heard that i didn't think i would say that when i was talking to you penny and i do apologize for my i thought you were referring to the um lee miller wasn't wasn't the ch- uh, Parisian champagne glass molded in in one of her breast shapes? Yes, I thought that's maybe what you're referring to the capacity. Yeah, yeah, the capacity. Jason likes a, a big drink. Mm-hmm. I'll have to find one of those flutes on Etsy post haste. <laughs> Penny, I'm actually coming to London soon for the first time since since lockdown. I'm very excited. Is there anything? You know, is there anything new that I, that I should check out that I need to be aware of? Yeah, um, uh, I went to the reopening of uh, Studio Voltaire, which is the art organisation down in South London, um, and they've had it. Um, it's in an arts and crafts church, and they've got an amazing exhibition by this guy William Scott that I really recommend. It's, I mean, what they've done is they've redone it so that working uh, artist spaces are visible and visible inside the complex. But I would definitely, uh, you know, considering they've done that without any government money, um, it's just a really buoyant and exciting kind of example of what can be sort of achieved with this bunch of smart people. I, I'm not a trustee there anymore. I used to be, but I would definitely go down and see that. Um, and then old favorites, I think probably. I, I, I like old favorites. I'm kind of an old favorites guy. Chris, what's your favorite? What's your, what's your local chip shop then, Chris? My, my local chips. No, I mean, I really, um, Rochelle Canteen is probably my favorite restaurant. I just think it's really, yeah. the setting is so crazy. You know, I just think it's so nice. The owners of uh, Freeze Art Fair have opened up a restaurant with one of the former chefs at um, uh, Rochelle. It's called Toklas, I think. It's on um, the Strand. So that might be worth uh, checking out. Can you tell those Freeze guys to stop sending me so many emails, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Flooding my inbox. <laughs> you go you go to an art fair once. Thanks thanks to Matches Fashion for having me a guest at Freeze Art Fair this year. I appreciate the mm. I appreciate the hospitality. I appreciate that. Do you it sounds like to me, Penny, you're a little wistful for your your museum days. Am I wrong? Gosh, do you sound wistful? Um <laughs> no, I think I get to satisfy um all of those uh maybe I miss having a collection, that's true. But that's been a long time. But I mean I haven't worked in a museum since uh, ninety eight. Oh, I know, but I just the way your eyes the eight, the way your eyes lit up when you were describing Studio Voltaire, I could just see the the passion burning. I, I'm just excited for a bunch of people that can get something like that off the ground. It's such a sure. hostile environment at the moment. The idea that you could kind of find funding and sponsorship to um, redo a giant uh, community space. They've got a really nice garden by Anthea Hamilton, the artist, and um, yeah, maybe it's my gardening uh, the connection that I've, I've, I've become. <laughs> Uh, extremely interested in uh, gardening books uh, and gardening letters as I try and cultivate um, the space because my garden 
goes right down into the water and the sea water comes over the bottom at the moment. So it's a pretty hostile environment. Uh, it's the equivalent <laughs> of kind of getting bleach poured on it twice a day. So I'll take any advice I can get, quite honestly. Oh, jeez. Well, you're talking to the wrong guy. You're talking to the wrong guys about that. You know, we can't grow much here in, in, in Jason's yard. It's- I've got a pretty green thumb, you know, but I, you know, I would love to have a garden in the English countryside one day, you know, a hedge of roses and things like that. We've got um, a story uh, in a girl called Claire Ratignon, who's a, um, a sort of market gardener grower, uh, and I think she started out in Brooklyn on, in some kind of roof garden. I think there was kind of like acres and acres of space up there. So I think where there's a will, there's a way. Try harder. That's Chris. right. Yeah, Jason's a little bit lazy, <laughs> is what you're saying. I, I I agree. He's a little bit lazy. He's got some cacti, but that's California. Chris, stuff. you don't even own a wheelbarrow. Well, we should probably talk about your book, Penny. <laughs> yeah, because I, point. like I said, I'm a, I'm a I'm a long time. I I might have the first issue of the Gentlewoman, to be honest with you. Which I know goes. I might, which goes for a lot of money on on eBay. I know the Phoebe Philo, but I will hold on to it. I, I will hold on to it. <laughs> now that we've met, unless I respect things you. go bad. You yeah, know, unless unless this podca- podcast thing goes off the rail, I need a, a couple thousand quid. You know, um, but the the tone of this is is really you know is is what I like about it. It, it does mimic the magazine in a lot of ways, but it tackles one of my an issue that's very close to my heart, which is. Bar soap. <laughs> I am a huge proponent of the bar soap. Um, I've used obviously, you know, many, many kinds. He's but, an Irish spring girl at the end of the day, Penny. Uh, no, but people think people think it's so weird that I like bar soap, and I, I think it's the only way to get the body clean. The, the only way. <laughs> so you actually like the friction. I love the. Well, I actually. So we had. I don't know if you've heard of this brand called Soft Services. It's a, it's like a new. No. It's a new skincare brand, and we had one of the founders on the show. And they made this exfoliating body bar. The whole brand is for the is for the body. It's not for the face. So it's skincare. Everything but the face. And I, t- I got to tell you, my thighs have never looked better. I think this is a masculine thing. I don't think women put the bar in contact with their body in order to la- create lather. Oh, go on. I think they do it in their hands and then apply the lather the same way you do with cleanser. Whereas it's men that do the rubbing. And have you ever noticed how <laughs> quickly a man gets through a bar soap in comparison with a woman? So, so Penny, you're saying that the ladies They'll they'll get a lather going in their hands and then rub yes, their hands on the body then apply and then it. the fellas take the bar straight on the onto the armpit and yeah the and rub it all over the body so it's yes. no wonder why you're going through these bars so quickly so so then it, would you consider it to be sacrilege <laughs> to use uh, a washcloth or a loofah or a Japanese bathing towel. No, not necessarily because that's the kind of implement that creates the contact with the body. Uh, I mean, I suppose well, the reason that we <laughs> particularly like the bar is it almost comes in its own wrapping. It, you know, the minute mm-hmm. it's dried, you just don't need a uh, yet another plastic container and yes. and uh, pump action. But also that that occupies a great deal of space and it mm-hmm. creates stature and it it it's it, it rather um demand it's a very demanding object in terms of the the um this is beautiful whereas if you unpack a tiny little bit of um uh soap as i've just done in my Parisian bathroom and they just put it on a tiny little slate it's just quite a modest um uh-huh. piece isn't it you don't you don't like to have <laughs> yes. the feeling that i'm going to have to ration out this soap over a period of time i want to know that there's no end in sight for the product that i have well probably it's also the fact that maybe women have many more of these already collecting at the bottom of the shower once they've got the conditioner and their cleanser and oh you think you think that my bathroom is not stocked with high-end products you're wrong okay and okay. i'm not going to stand for that on this podcast mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you yes, want to go toe for right. toe? I'll pu- I'll pull out my damn creams, okay? And we can start talking. <laughs> it's nothing. So what what brand of soap do you use, if you don't mind me asking, Penny? What's your bar? Well, there is a pear soap yes. uh, in my um, uh, shower, but it's not mine. Mm. Uh, that might be that's my husband's. Penny, what's your fragrance of choice while we're on the subject? Well, I gather that it's not very sophisticated to admit what your fragrance is, but since it's you, <laughs> Poivre, is it Poivre Samarakan, the um, Hermes fragrance? And yes, it, it's yes. got loads of ESO E Super in it. So, to be honest, it's not terribly different from something like um, eccentric molecules. You, you know, ESO E Super, the sort of. The molecule thing is a really wild product. Like, it's really wild. I'm not familiar with it. We did an oral history um, of it in a previous issue. Actually, would you explain? I, I don't know. I've been, it's been explained to me so many times over the years, but I don't know if I have the scientific mind to understand it. To explain it to someone as dumb as Jason. So maybe you should take sure. a shot. Sure. Well, I, I, I'll take a shot at it, although I, I will be corrected. I'm, and I'm sure by your um, listeners that are far more expert than me. A lot of scientists listen to this. It was an idea. By a group of people, it was it was based on a marketing project that came out of a Bombay Sapphire project, I think. And then there was a nose called Geza Schoen that was involved in and a fragrance expert um called uh um Susan Irvin and Tim Blanks, the fashion person. That was the whole gaggle of people that mm-hmm. were involved in this project. However, the con the concept at the bottom of it, and it's a very naughty's sort of late naughty's concept, was that the uh, ingredient that's in, uh, you know, a fragrance is a, a constellation of many molecules that are uh, isolated and then their mimesis is made and you get a kind of brew. Mm-hmm. However, wouldn't it be very interesting, they thought, that you could isolate one molecule and the fragrance be principally it? And they they, they did this with Isu Super, which is a kind of chemical that's used as a sort of fragrance accelerant. It's the equivalent of monosodium glutamate. It's a kind of an intensifier. Yeah. And they isolated it and used that as the sole, not the sole ingredient, but the principal ingredient in a very minimalist fragrance concept. But the thing about it is it has enormous uh, effect. I mean, it, 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 literally yeah. you wear it and people will ask you what it is. Uh, we uh, The first time I ever wore it, actually I was in New York and this guy, uh, the Sikh guy, taxi driver, was like, Get, kind of coming through the the plastic <laughs> divider to say what is that smell? What is that smell? And you, we did powerful, yeah, it's incredible. And it's it, the silage is you know the sort of vapor trail behind you is quite strong and it lasts a long time. And it's a bit of a phenomenon. Men are stopping in their tracks. Birds are landing on your shoulder. Dogs are running around <laughs> your feet. There's just a magnetism about you from this molecule. Well, you're teasing me, but yes. Why doesn't everyone wear this all the time? <laughs> they do. It's three hundred fifty dollars. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not. No, it's not. I thought. I thought the big one was like three hundred. Well, you're buying the big one. I think it's like seventy quid or something. No, I mean I need to try this. I mean, I'm a taken man. You mean the Hermes version with the Isoe Super? Yes, it's probably very expensive. Who knows? It was a gift. However, um, the, the 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 molecule itself. What is what is Isoe Isu? Isoe Super is the name of the chemical. Okay. I S O and then E, the letter E, and then Super. That's Iso its e name, super. and it's used in detergents and wash, you know, washing powder for your clothing, and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's used in the industry. It's. Um, I feel like I had heard about it years ago from someone who was like really into fragrance, and then, you, like you said, like three four years ago, I'm like, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's like for sale in all the in the right stores. You know, it's like it's that it's that kind of thing. But it's been around for what seems tetramethyl like a long time. acetal lacodrona phalantinus. <laughs> 
is what it's technically exactly. called. Yeah, exactly. Catchy. <laughs> exactly. It just ro- it, it rolls off the tongue. Those guys over at Hermes are so good at, at their branding and stuff. <laughs> I, I also, in the book, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, spending time alone. Um, which is which is something that Jason and I are both big proponents of, which we have been told is a Virgo. Of course, we're Virgos. Penny. Is a Virgo trait. Um, but I, you know, I think it's. I think that when you live, I lived in New York for a very long time, and I think the solo dining or drinking, in in the case of your book, are two things that are completely acceptable in a very different way than maybe anywhere else in the world. Like you see it very, very often. And for women too, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. Like I, I would say, I would say I've witnessed that for men or women more often in New York than anywhere else in the world. And I, I'm a big proponent of it myself. But I think it does for a lot of people. It's a hump to get over. Yeah, I think it still is. And the idea that I spent, well, maybe it is from very much from a British perspective. Although that was an LA writer that wrote the solitary drink for us a good few years ago. Because this, the book is an anthology. All these pieces have appeared in the magazine over the years. Um, but, uh, you know, there's obviously the history there about what the assumptions were. And they're quite recent mm-hmm. um, legal examples of, you know, uh, different brands. You know, the, the, the British version of McDonald's, Wimpy, as late as the late 1970s, you couldn't, as a woman, enter Wimpy after, I think it was eight o'clock, other than to be assumed that you were soliciting. Prostitution, not, not, the, not the Bible or something. <laughs> <laughs> soliciting sex. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so um, it's quite recent that that idea about being out on your own and being confused with why you might not be chaperoned, mm-hmm. uh, and and just also you know. But then it's not just the sort of um, shame or sort of social appearances of that kind of solitude. It's also you know once you've decided that that's what you want, how to how to get it, how to to be left alone. And there's tip. You know, I think that's. Probably the character of a lot of the pieces in in the um, book that you know, yeah, they present a kind of social problem and they're rather sort of hopefully entertaining about them. But then ultimately, there are some takeaways. If that's what you want, then you know this is how to deflect attention or make friends with the bartender or make sure you don't get so hammered that you know <laughs> you, you're not going to do it again. Um, so you're saying you're saying for next time I go out to eat alone, I need to make myself uglier so people don't approach me. I got it. I got it. I, I'll work on that. I, I I definitely don't think it's that. I think it's about why, you know, you could... Maybe you could be reading a terrible book very visibly or something like that that might turn off some people. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Sometimes those kinds of um, ticks almost flag uh, anxiety, don't they? The idea that you might be scrolling through your phone just sort of says, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm worried about um, uh, being on my own. Whereas if you put the phone away and you really own it, maybe people are less uh, inclined to bother you, I think. Well, how would you talk to this rock? Certainly, they won't reply. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, I think that this is particularly interesting because I think that the the uh, novel coronavirus and the quarantine for, forced a lot of people who had never spent a lot of idle time alone to to do that. You know what I mean, or at least more so than they ever had before, and maybe you know look inward more than they ever had before. And I I wonder if that will see an uptick in this sort of behavior, or or if it will go the other way i think this is the crucial moment isn't it it's about deciding what the terms of engagement are now that we're proceeding back out and it's just which bits of the prior um saturation um uh, of media and the kind of visibility of ourselves do we want to resume and which bits of our kind of anonymity and privacy do we want to take back uh and it has been a observation that's been made in the book that quite a lot of it is about the kind of resistance to the digital world and it's just a a question mark about you know 
how much email do you want to do? Do you, mm-hmm. do you really want, you know, people to see you as much as they did? And, you know, what, what would be kind of an elegant way to re-enter the world, I guess. And you, have you been exercising those behaviors? Have you left some things in the past? You, well, you might argue that, you know, I've, my, my being out of the city is, is, is part of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but as I said, you then need to compensate, don't you? So maybe you make yourself more visible on screen, just like you said initially. So it's kind of like just deciding how much you feel beholden uh, and what access to yourself you behold, feel beholden to give. I think you have done a, I mean, I think, you know, fantastic man as well. And, and, and the gentlewoman, I think that there's something that is, um, I think that celebrity has been really affected. Like w- there's no mystery at all. Right. You know what I mean? There's no mystery to anything anymore. And I think that like, even with the publications, there's a mystery to it that I think is very appealing to people in some ways. And that's lack, obviously that's somewhat a, a, you know, the participation in the internet and social media and what level of that, that you choose to do. But I think that, that mystery is something that is totally gone <laughs> in our society, especially from anything public facing. I, I think it's a. I think it's very rare. That is, that is true, but also the opposite is true. It's kind of like they coexist in that when we first started, you know, it was quite common to, for people to be publishing interviews in comparable publications or, or, or in um, newspapers where you could tell that they'd only really got twenty minutes with somebody. Yeah, and actually, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. looked at the imagery. They were so heavily retouched and so kind of mediated that they were starting to become actually quite distant and there was almost no point mm-hmm. in the encounter at all. Mm-hmm. So whilst there's that kind of respect for somebody and giving them uh, a, a little bit of elevation, I think, is kind of what you're pointing to. Also, we were likely to be the kind of magazine that were working, you know, retouching things, uh, 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 fact-checking things into kind of oblivion and the kind of um, journal detail of their the vernacular of their lives, what soap they mm-hmm. they you know the, the kind of or, <laughs> the ordinary the weeds I think mm-hmm. and made it into the the profiles. So if you can get the two together, I think that's kind of the dream, isn't it? So we do on this podcast every week, girl. Exactly. That's what we talk <laughs> about all the time, though, is the celebrity profile and what it's become and how you know they're they're writing them themselves or their husbands writing it or, or whatever it may be in that kind of era of like i'm going to spend a week at a hotel with a very famous person and really get into the intricacies of their life and how they behave is it's so rare now that those things you know have a longer tail than they ever have because when one of those is done well it's captive it's captivating i think people have forgotten how good they can be often the trick is making sure that you don't get the person during the junket which is almost mm-hmm. against the grain of what the logic of booking really is but you know you're not really gonna you know, yes if they are already on that junket your first line of your profile is going to read so-and-so slips into the bonquette and orders a salad or whatever and you know you've <laughs> yeah. got count down until the 12 minutes before <laughs> they leave sort of thing yeah. and the sorts yeah. of things they're likely to say yeah no it's i i hope that there's a return to it to some extent i think that you know you guys are carrying the torch and there's a few like you, you know, mercifully that are, that are could continue to do that. I also think though that, that, and, and you have more insight to this than I do, but I think certain celebrities or, you know, whatever high profile people are, are more in touch with which publications and which things matter, you know, and it's, it's not just the publicist told me to be here. There's a few things where like, I want to do this and I'll give them the time. Yeah. yeah it can be surprising. And also, you know, who, doggedly uh will hang on when it's not it's not happened so yeah <laughs> you probably receive um return phone calls and and emails from mm-hmm. you know certain people mm-hmm. well, it's as much what you do 
It's what you don't do, isn't it? That's very true. And I think there's things that we try to avoid here for sure. And then, you know, there's things that we've learned that we're better at and we lean into. And that's just, you know, Luckily, I'm good at saying no in a way that lets them down (laughs) a little bit easier than Chris. But, uh, you know, every week we have to figure out a new pleasant way of saying no to somebody for whatever reason. You can't just say, like, sorry, you're boring. <laughs> you, you, can, you can hand on heart say we know that the readers won't respond to that. And mm-hmm. once you've met them, I think that's a reasonable I, I agree. I mean, return. I think that the, the funny thing about podcasting is that there's a lot of people, maybe not a lot, but there, there's, there's people that come on the show that are relatively high profile that have never listened to it and never really looked into it. And that's number one. That's what we want. That's what we want. We, I know that you came on this podcast. You're like, I don't know who these guys are. I don't know what this shit is. <laughs> that's but, no good. <laughs> but they, they told me I had to do this. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this shit. I want to be at dinner, but like that's, it's more fun that way. It just is. It's more fun that way. I would rather that than somebody who's like a fan. That's just boring. It's, mm. it's not, it's not the same interaction. When Charlie XCX said she was a fan, I was okay with that. Let's just say that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I was too. I but was no, too. Yeah, I, Cause you get to have that truly organic document of a conversation of people meeting each other for the first time like why the fuck am i talking to you right now and then you know sometimes some pure gold can come from that so who are the people that you like every week write to i mean is there is there a publicist that receives this <laughs> return uh electrics i've got loads of them <laughs> well i mean we we like to mix it up and chris handles most of the booking but we really like to have a, a, a plethora of people, you know, people like you. Come on, names. Oh, you're looking for some high-level names. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, well, just is there somebody that you write to? You know, what, who was that writer? Was it Chris ha- um, Simon Hattonston that used to write to Aretha Franklin like every month? Who's my Aretha? No, this is a good. This is a good idea. We should try that because we we um you know we do deal with a lot of publicists. We deal with a lot of you know. I we did this though. I mean, Phoebe Bridgers was that for me. And she came on, you know what I mean? And like, no, I think was, Chris's would probably be Liam Gallagher. Oh, really? Yeah, Liam Gallagher would be. Fuck, you could get him, surely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have the same UK connections that you do, Penny. But if you if you want to help out, you just let me know. I'm I'm, I'm all ears. But, but <laughs> we'll take we'll take the the guy who does the tambourines and slow dive. Like we'll do just about anything. You know? What I <laughs> yeah, mean? I'll I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Bonehead if he's drunk. You know what I mean? Listen, it was one of the highlights of my career at the gentlewoman were about six months ago i got sent a photograph of bez holding the gentlewoman that's so wow. sick that's so sick that's very cool my heart yeah, that's very cool yeah. no that's he was photographed cool. in some kind of buddhist colony or something wherever he lives i don't know where it is yeah i, I think i like the the i uh, i want to interview people who like nobody else really gets a chance to interview or a person who does a lot of interviewing and they're always bad and i want to try to figure out how can we do the cool, you know, the the good Beyonce interview, like how you guys did, or something like that? <laughs> yeah. The, so we're so we're shooting for the Lindsay Lohan cover. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, <laughs> you know, she's returning to Netflix, so we have a small Sorry. window where we could get her. Yeah, yeah. Mm, good tip. Sorry to be the one to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, Penny. Penny, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the book is uh, Modern Manners, and it is in stores everywhere, right? Everywhere. Just in time for the holiday season, Indeed. and it's not a tiny book, but it's not large either, right? It's a, it's a it's a regular size book. It could fit into a classic stocking, if I do say so myself. It's very true. It's got a bit of heft. It's chunky. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And the magazine <laughs> and the and the the newest issue of the of the Gentlewoman is out. It has little Sims on the cover. It's a yellowish hue, I believe. Yeah, very bright. I would say Florida Ooh. yellow. Florida, Florida yellow. yellow. Okay, and we'll look out. And and so when does the next issue come out? Then if it's biannual, twenty twenty two. Who's on the cover? Who's on the cover of the next issue? <laughs> oh, I can't possibly tell you that. Nice try, lads. You're good, Penny. You're running the show for a reason. Fifteenth <laughs> of March. She's getting shot on Sunday. So it's a woman. So it's a woman. Okay. <laughs> Perhaps you've said too much. That's an exclusive. That's a how long gone exclusive. Uh, no, but Penny, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. Enjoy your time in Paris, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Give us a ring when you're in in, in, a, in America, and we'll go get a caviar sandwich. Martini. Our treat. It's our it's our treat. It's our treat. Well, this was mine. Thank you. Ta ta. 